he bit the book. Yeah, because I, I went to go get it from downstairs. And my theory is because I was using a small piece of tinfoil as the bookmark that he saw it and then decided that it was some kind of food that he should try to eat. Um, but yeah, now I have... It's it's hard to see it on the call, but also because it's a black book. But when you come here in person, I'll show you. There's very distinct... Like, he took a couple tries to really... <laughs> Are you telling me that your dog ate your podcast homework? Oh my god, yeah. Hi, Sammy. How are you? Hi, Ren. I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm suffering physically. Um, Oof. But that is what it is. Quite frankly, I think you should just get an exemption. I should. It's like, listen, these are parts that are going to go unused. If I could donate them to a good cause, I would. But we've had this conversation many times before. And so we're having it on air for the benefit of listeners instead. Also, like, on this extremely horny podcast where we talk about all kinds of things. I don't know why I'm being bashful about saying that I'm on my period, because that's what's happening. But it still feels like something that you shouldn't say. So We literally opened our last episode with a discussion of uh, the fact that we're both monster fuckers. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I think we've crossed that bridge. Social constructs are fun. Social constructs are a time. Uh, but thankfully, hobbits and elves are not subject to social constructs like gender or money. They just are. I mean, not subject to them in the same way that we are, but... <sighs> How are you? How was your day? I'm already missing the woods. Yeah, I was I was away for the a nice long weekend, dear listener, with um, visiting some friends and going to their wedding. Thankfully, that was out in the woods, and so I took a little walk on on the AT and a little hike up a mountain and uh, enjoyed the fall foliage. Yeah, I wish I had gotten to hike. I was busy celebrating other important milestones, but yeah, I got home the next day and I was just baking. I baked apple betty and pumpkin squares and I was eating apple cider donuts that I'd gotten the day before because I just needed to recreate the fall magic. Yeah, I was thinking about um, making some pumpkin cinnamon rolls today and I didn't end up doing that, so I might do that tomorrow. We'll see. Oh, I like that. Um, but beyond our culinary and worldly adventures, do we want to talk about the adventures that a bunch of hobbits are having? I would love to talk about those adventures because we left off on a beefy section. We certainly did. So with that, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Fandom Apprentice, where... We are today talking about the end of the Council of Elrond through the Ring Goes South. I am one of your hosts, your resident quote-unquote Tolkien expert, Rin. And I'm the other one, your resident apprentice, Sam.
you're trying so hard to get us on topic and I am just being silly. But you just listened to our last episode. So where specifically did we leave off? I mean, I have a general I did idea. just listen to our last episode. I was doing editing notes. Um, but we left off specifically at the end of Elrond's tale, where he gives sort of a a whole piece of the end of the last age where Sauron was the enemy and a great alliance of men and elves, the free peoples of middle earth came together to defeat him. Mm -hmm. Just for context, that was 3000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we left off talking about how this guy's really fucking old. Right. And, and he was, he was old then. So this is, it's been a long time since, since that all happened. Since the magical sword that Elendil wielded, Narsil was shattered. And since uh, Isildur failed to destroy the ring and it passed out of knowledge and time, and now we're back with Boromir's tale. Thinking about them as Elrond's tale and Boromir's tale just makes me think that this is this is dark Chaucer. <laughs> this is edgy Chaucer. Yeah, and I was looking at my notes to see what little nuggets I had to contribute to this part. And what I have written is my eyes kind of glazed over because there's a lot of names and cities and stuff. But the main takeaway that I got from that story is that the sword that gets broken is the same one that Aragorn has. Right. And Aragorn will reveal this very shortly. Yeah. So El Elrond's story is long and essentially gives a whole history of Middle-earth. Right. And so finally, now he gets to the end of his story and Boromir gets up and goes, okay, let me talk about where I'm from. Because you mentioned Gondor, and I'm from Gondor. And we happen to be right next to Mordor, so we should probably talk about what's happening. Yeah, the two places that both end in OR sounds that are right next to each other. And let's not forget the kingdom of Arnor to the north, uh, which no longer exists, but... More like Arnorth, am I right? Ayo. <laughs> But Boromir talks about the nameless enemy having arisen again. Mm -hmm. And this is not the same like nameless fear that Gloin mentioned. This is clearly Sauron. Yeah, I've I didn't even make the connection that they were both nameless, but yeah, it's pretty obvious from the way he's talking that this is Sauron. Right. Gloin Gloin, when he says the nameless fear, it's all lowercase. And when Boromir says the nameless enemy, both nameless and enemy are capitalized. Mm -hmm. And we get a common speech name for the mountain Aura Druin, which is the great volcano at the center of Mordor. And it's called Mount Doom because of course it is. Which if this was anything, if any modern thing had a name like Mount Doom, we would think that was so cheesy. But here it's just, you know, it's played totally straight. It was original at the time and it super works. Right. This is the novel that is the ancestor of all modern fantasy. And so you can't do this anymore without being like, are you, you know, 
You're both derivative of Tolkien and way too direct. Yeah. Right? So really, like, only this can only be done by Tolkien. Yeah. And it's kind Um, of refreshing. You know, you don't have to interpret the meaning of some complicated name. No, it's just fucking Mount Doom. And you know exactly what's going to happen there. Tolkien doesn't make a lot of distinctions between good and evil. It doesn't make a lot of, like, gray area between good and evil. Things are good or they are evil. And if they're evil, they're dark and have names like Mount Doom and the Nameless Enemy and the the Dark Fear. And, and if they're good, then, then they're the kings of men and they are, you know, remembered in songs and histories, right? So he's he's very black and white about his morality and about yeah. the sides that one is on. And every Every place also has a side. That's interesting because we've obviously seen a lot of that already. But again, that just hadn't really occurred to me that the places, you know, the Shire has a magic all its own. Elrond's house has its magic. You know, we're also working with the forces of these places in addition to the people. Right. Every... We had early on, we had the one spirit of place in Tom Bombadil where he was very, like a very tangible spirit of place. But that doesn't mean that these other places don't have spirits and magic that manifest within them. Mm -hmm. Right. And we'll see this later in, in the Ringo South. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I took some notes to that effect. Mm -hmm. Um, but Boromir basically talks about uh, they were holding the river against Mordor and its allies, and then a black rider came in the night, and they were just completely defeated and driven back across the river. And Boromir's brother got like a prophetic dream and told him to seek the sword that was broken in Imladris it dwells. And there's a whole long prophecy. And so Boromir's brother, Faramir, wants to go, but Boromir takes it upon himself to go in in his place. Right? And why does, what was his reason for wanting to go? Basically, because he got the, he got the vision. He, he saw that, you know, he was eager to heed the dream and seek for Imladris, but since the way was full of doubt and danger... I took the journey upon myself. Okay. That's what Boromir says. Well, that's a good brother. Good for him. Right. And this is when Aragorn jumps up and casts his broken sword on the table and goes, well, here was the sword that was broken. Right? Mm -hmm. This is Narsil. I am Elendilin, Isildur's heir. Yeah. Which means that Aragorn is royalty more or less now was this something that because we've talked about this before i don't remember if it was on the podcast or just personally in our conversations but they so is he the royalty for numenor or somewhere else whatever whatever he's royalty of isn't really something that exists anymore right he's numenorian 
um, more or less, but technically like Gondor is, is a kingdom of Numenorians of people descended from Numenorians more or less. Okay. As, and the Dunedain are sort of the remainders of the kingdom of Arnor. Um, which was Gondor's sort of Northern uh, counterpart. Mm -hmm. But technically speaking, that means he is also heir to Gondor because Gondor does not currently have a king. Okay. So he does have a relevant player in the political worlds. He has stakes in something that is happening and not just, oh yeah, this kingdom that fell a long time ago. I guess I'm related to these guys. Right. But he is, you know, it's, it's kind of wild to think about because it is, it has been, like we said, about 3000 years. Yeah. Right. If we think about, you know, fit royal families in our own world, like the British royal family that can more or less trace their ancestry back to William of Normandy who came over and conquered England in 1066. So that's not even a thousand years. And yeah. that was a long ass fucking time ago. Right. So, and it really has been, you know, multiple families that have ruled England through various descent and intermarriage and all of that. But three thousand years is even even if people even if the Numenorians like have magic in their blood and intermarried with elves and so live longer than humans in our world that's still a long fucking time yeah and Gandalf goes well we might as well answer the rest of uh Boromir's unspoken question let's uh let's bring out the ring here shall we and the ring is also known as Isildur's bane because ultimately it's what led to the death of Isildur. Mm -hmm. Right? And Frodo is the halfling mentioned in the prophecy. Oh yeah, and the halfling fourth shall stand. There you go. And so Boromir is like, shit, are we all are we all doomed? And, you know, is, is, is my city, is my nation doomed? And Aragorn says, well, no, not yet. The prophecy didn't say it was your doom. It just said it was doom. <laughs> that could um, apply to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, worry. he It'll literally says doom, I promise. But doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. There will be doom. I can promise you doom for sure. Right. And, but Boromir is like not convinced of any of it. And so he kind of is, is being snippy about the whole thing. And Bilbo gets up. I love this part where Bilbo talks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bilbo gives the little verse that we, we saw in Brie, right? The all that is gold that does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost, which is, you know, Every person with an REI membership's favorite little quote to cut out and put 
on a sticker somewhere. Listen, as two REI members staring <laughs> each other in the face right now. I literally do own socks that say that on them. And I'm yeah, and don't you also sure... have that on the picture frame? Yeah, the, the one that my ex gave me. Um, Which we have talked about on the podcast. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, we we are not immune. <laughs> it is, it's a good, it's a good quote. But I do also think uh, the rest of the passage is worthwhile to have as well. Not all, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Um, and then there's another verse and Bilbo goes, well, it's not my best poem, but if you need more than Elrond is saying, then I guess that will have to do. You, you came up 110 days through the wilderness alone, which means he's been writing since July 7th. Mm-hmm. And if the... That is quick math. The, Good job. I, I have it written down. Still. We've, we saw in our last episode that I have not uh, been able to do qu- quick math when I need to. <laughs> I was willing so, to give you credit for it, though. I prefer to be honest with our listeners. Upfront about my lack of mathematical abilities. Where was I? Um, Boromir has been in the wilderness alone since July 7th. And Bilbo's like, if you're willing to do that, like jump in the saddle the moment um, your people are driven across the river by a black rider and ride north like the gates of hell have opened behind you for 110 days then you might as well fucking listen. Yeah, it seems like a really weird time to suddenly be skeptical. And I do love that he le- Bilbo leans down to Frodo and goes, I made that one up myself. <laughs> He's just so that- proud of his work. And he you should get that be. from Gandalf. You come up with something good and you need to make sure that everyone appreciates it. Exactly. Aragorn then sort of like finishes out his history right? That he's the heir of Isildur. And, you know, he's not a great king. He is a wanderer and a warrior. And he has done much in the to keep the North safe, just as Boromir and the men of Gondor have done to keep the South safe. So they move on um, to Bilbo getting up. Boromir sort of leaves like one last question being like, how do we know that this is the ring? How do we know this is actually Isildur's bane? How did it get here? And Elrond goes, well, why don't we let the halfling tell it? And Bilbo goes, but I'm hungry. Do I have to? <laughs> and I love that he is just who he is. He still doesn't matter. He's gone on many adventures. It doesn't matter what's happened, what horrible things people are describing he is still who he is and elrond says you know the quicker you get through this story the sooner you can have some it's like trying to get a child to do a chore you know the faster you do it then we can go have a treat we can go get ice cream which from a child development perspective i don't agree with using food as a bribe but in this case it is very effective well no actually that's a lie 
it gets him to start talking. It is effective in that he will do what Elrond is telling him to do and tell the story. But Elrond implores him to please make it brief. Make it succinct. For the love of God, if you haven't already written a poem about this, Bilbo, you don't need to. You don't have to improv. Just tell us in plain words what happened. Can you do that? That was which it's mm-hmm. finish your thought. Oh, I was just gonna say it's like in the good place, um, when Michael needs Eleanor Shellstrup's file and he's asking Janet if she has a cactus. I do not have a cactus. I have the file. I will not tell a long story. I will keep it short. And then it says that Bilbo did not omit a single riddle from the story. I I do love though. That's such telling Bilbo to keep it short. Such bold words coming from a man who just told the entire history of Middle-earth to get to his point. Yeah, that's a bit hypocritical. And also, telling Bilbo, hey, maybe don't tell a story, when, like, Bilbo's whole thing is telling stories, it's not, not going to happen. I also like your your comparison of this to, like, a parent and child type thing, because Elrond, as we've noted, is 3,000-something years old, and Bilbo, at his ripe young age of 128, is definitely about at that level to Elrond. <laughs> yeah, basically a baby. And just to be clear, the story that he is telling, in case people haven't read The Hobbit or have forgotten, he's talking about how he acquired the ring from Gollum. And there's the riddle contest, and he sort of stole it. And that is not something that he had told his party originally. So to some people in the room, that was news. But some people already knew. But this is the first time that he's come out and fully said the whole story. I I do also have in my notes, um, we realized that, oops, he hasn't told Gloin how he found the ring. Gloin does not actually know. Um, Which, I mean, at this point, it's not like Gloin's going to be mad. It's not like anyone's going to be mad. Right. I do like that Tolkien, you know, even though we know that Bilbo is not keeping this brief, Tolkien thankfully keeps this brief. Tolkien basically goes like, you know, Tolkien gives us a paragraph of Bilbo telling his story and basically sort of subtly goes, if you want that, there's a whole other book about it. Mm -hmm. And you can go read the book. And then Frodo tells of his dealings his uh his travels in another paragraph and i'm so glad that tolkien did not reiterate all of this because we just read it all yeah and there's times where that kind of summary within a book is helpful i think this is definitely one of those books where i appreciate any getting up to speed that happens but i do a lot of much lighter sort of rom-commy casual reading and i hate when a very straightforward book constantly pauses to um what's the word fuck summarize what just happened because yeah we know that the girl's boyfriend got mad at her and they had a fight we just read that you don't need to summarize it again this isn't war and peace it's not that complicated whereas this book is that complicated so i do appreciate even if it is just a very brief reminder of where we're at that is genuinely helpful. And I've even read though, I've even read like other like fantasy books 
where the author cannot resist summarizing everything and reiterating everything whenever there's a new character introduced mm. or whenever that character's reintroduced. You can't just give a line of, oh, we've seen this character before. They have to give their whole fucking backstory. You have to trust the reader. And we talked about this a little bit last time, too, of whether or not it matters to pay attention to every single name and understand every single thing. And I think that you have to trust your readers that they will follow the things that are really important. If you're doing a good job crafting your story, they'll be able to understand what's going on. And if they are able to pick up on other stuff, if they want to follow other threads, they can, if that enriches the experience, but you don't have to patronize them necessarily by telling them things they already know. Right. And I would say right. this is very effective storytelling. He's being, he's a good economy of language. Right. Even, even though he is very much a verbose author. Yeah. Who gives some very long pieces of description. He is at least trusting his reader to understand what he's saying and to pay attention to what he's saying when it matters. And Bilbo makes a very cheeky little remark about how he could write a good book about Frodo's adventure so far after we've been reading the book about Frodo's adventures. So I like to think that that was Tolkien's little nod to himself. Of, yeah, this is a good book. I am doing a good job. Tolkien's little that mini was, affirmation time inside his own story. That was absolutely a little authorial moment. Yeah. But anyway, then we get the last piece of the puzzle. We get Gandalf. Yes. There is a whole section here where they're debating on whether or not this is the ring, like the one ring. What what else could this be? And Gandalf basically goes, well, the nine belong to the riders. We know that there's nine riders. That's where they are. The seven, we've already been told, are taken or destroyed. We know where the three the elves have are. So what else could this possibly be? We don't know of any other rings that he would want so badly as to dispatch all of his power. Right? Mm -hmm. And then Gandalf confirms that the necromancer who was the sort of, not the villain of the Hobbit, but a villain mentioned in passing as perhaps a future problem in the Hobbit. Um, is We get that confirmed that that is in fact Sauron. This is definitely a choice that Tolkien made later. Yeah. Right? And so Gandalf then continues his tale. Gandalf tells his tale about how he learned that it was the One Ring. Mm -hmm. He asked for help from Aragorn. He sought out scrolls in the ancient libraries of Gondor. He went to Dol Guldur where the necromancer was. He did so much research to make sure that this is not, please, all the gods, this is not the one ring. But then it was definitely the one ring because he finds out that there are words in the dark speech when the ring is hot. And so he took the ring 
and put it in fire. Mm-hmm. And found the words Ashnaz Dorbtuluk, Ashnaz Gimbatul, Ashnaz Trakatuluk, Ag Borzum Ishi Krimpatul, which means one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. And to talk about words have power, right? Sam is just staring at me listeners as i as i well i do some you, dm reciting here <laughs> no that i mean i'm always looking at you because this is also a visual medium for us but you were seeming to have a thoughtful pause afterwards i didn't know if you had a hot take i mean my hot take is that words have power and we've talked about this before but the words have power so much that the sun seems to fade and the elves plug their ears yeah, that's what I was going to say. That was my note, is that this viscerally upsets everyone in the room. And Elrond sort of chastises Gandalf for daring to speak them. And Gandalf basically goes, listen, there's going to be a hell of a lot more of this dark speech if we don't deal with this now. So consider yourselves lucky that you only had to hear a sentence or two. And let's get on with getting this thing dispatched. If you don't all want to be speaking this uh, in a few years, let's let's hurry this along, shall we? Yeah. And they talk about Gollum having all sorts of information about the ring. And they say, well, Gollum is thankfully behind behind bars and uh, guarded by the, the elves of Mirkwood. And Legolas goes, sorry. About <laughs> He's that. not. It just made us so sad to keep him in prison. And so we took him for little walks in the moonlight and it seemed like a good idea. And Gloin is like, why the fuck were you so nice to him, but not to me? Yeah, it's an old grudge. And Gandalf goes, if we're if all the grievances that stand between elves and dwarves are to be brought up here, we may as well abandon this council. <laughs> and says, my story's not done yet, basically. And after Legolas finishes telling exactly how Gollum escaped, Gandalf says, we're not done. So I met Radagast the Brown, who is another wizard of the Order, back in June, and told him about the Black Riders. And now Tolkien being so specific about time is helpful to us here. Mm-hmm. Because we know now this coincides with when the warriors of Gondor were defeated at Athelion and Boromir set out for Rivendell. Okay. So Gandalf then rides to meet up with Sauron the White, who is the head of the wizard order. And it is very confusing. I know we've talked about things having similar names already, but Saruman and Sauron are really similar. And we fucked up Bilbo and Frodo enough. I think we may need to add another counter for how many times we fuck up Saruman and Sauron. And Saruman is sketchy. It seems like he has been keeping Gandalf from the truth because he gets mentioned a little earlier in the chapter. And then we hear a little bit more about him that Gandalf is going to him for help, but he's not really getting many straight answers. And 
it's just sort of everything about him is very sketchy. I love The Fall of Sauron. I think it's just so well written. We it establishes very quickly how well respected Sauron was mm-hmm. and how far he's fallen in just a few paragraphs. Right? Gandalf notes very early on when he gets there one that he goes to Isengard and the Tower Orthanc within and the door shuts behind him and that's mm-hmm. when he starts to feel uneasy because those doors don't shut right yeah. he feels trapped within and he notices that Saruman was wearing a ring on his finger The other question that came to me as I was reading this piece was why the fuck do all wizards live in towers? And a piece of it is definitely because uh, Saruman lives in a fucking tower. And so all wizards afterwards live in fucking towers. But I did do some research as to like where this came from. Mm -hmm. And sort of one of the explanations that I found was you know, the idea of the wizard as the learned man sort of vaguely comes from like, you know, old medieval learned men who oftentimes would study the stars. And so they would do that from their little astronomy towers. That makes a lot of sense. And so they'd have their laboratories and libraries up in the big tower where they could have their their telescopes and look at the stars. Mm-hmm. But we have a whole very quick very quickly, it's we have a whole conversation with Sauron in which it's revealed he is gone to the dark side, right? He insults Gandalf, gets real pissed about being called by his title, Sauron the White, and then, you know, insults Radagast, Radagast the Brown, Radagast the Bird Tamer, Radagast the Simple, Radagast the Fool. Yet he had just the wit to play the part I set him. For you have come. And that was all the purpose of my message. And here you will stay, Gandalf the Grey, and rest from journeys. For I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of many colors. And he reveals that his robe is no longer white, but it is made of all colors woven. Uh, he He has this nice little Technicolor dream coat. Which is so, magic makes you dramatic. That is so fucking dramatic. And is there a ranking system for the colors? Or do these three wizards just happen to have their own colors in ascending order of brightness relative to power? We also have two blue wizards. Have we met two blue wizards or do they just exist in the world? We they just exist yet. in the world. Uh, okay. They are to the east um, and we will not see them in the book. But there are two blue wizards uh, somewhere in the world. Interesting. So, But this is not like a system that we need to try to parse. It's just they happen to have colors. We can parse more of it in the two towers when we actually talk more about this. Okay. But Gandalf tells him, tells Saruman, I liked white better. The sass. The sass. Magic makes you dramatic. Absolutely. It took me a minute to figure out what it is that's actually happening with Saruman because I was reading it thinking, okay, so he's teamed up with Sauron. But 
from what I'm understanding, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, he wants the ring for himself. He at least is under the impression that he wants it for himself. I don't know if he is actually being controlled by Sauron and then there's layers of intrigue, but he seems to think that he can also make a grab for this power. Right. He he thinks that the power contained within the ring can help him gain new knowledge and power. And Gandalf says, like, you can't use this thing. When I read sort of later pieces from Tolkien's Legendarium, you learn that Sauron, Saruman, Gandalf, Radagast, they're all the same type of being. They're all Maiar. They're powerful beings. But Sauron clearly has a level of power that the others can't quite match, not without destroying everything. Mm -hmm. And so Gandalf basically says, like, Sauron's not gone. Sauron's not defeated. He still wields the ring. If you try to wield it, he will defeat you. He will take you over and corrupt you. Yeah, just because it's not physically on his hand, you know, he is still enacting his will through it and you're not powerful enough to overcome that basically yeah it is it's still a piece of his power it's not a it's not a tool that you can wield it is an extension of sauron himself but saruman basically says you know if if you won't join me then you can stay here on the top of a tall tower and Gandalf becomes a damsel in distress, <laughs> a princess in the tower, an anime girl. Oh, no. I've seen enough people doing sexy Gandalf cosplays. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's not a big mental leap to make. There's a, there's a Gandalf big naturals meme that went around for a while. I think I know the one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, Gandalf with big tits. Amazing. But. Thankfully, Gandalf told Radagast to get the eagles moving. And so Gwehir the Windlord comes to check on Gandalf just by happy accident. Mm -hmm. Fancy seeing Uh, you here. And takes him away. And so Gandalf goes to Rohan and gets a magic horse to help him out. Shadowfax, who is the favorite horse of the king of Rohan, who will certainly not be happy that Gandalf took that particular horse. Yeah, just took the absolute best one. Yeah. And does he talk about why he picks that one? Just because it's the best? Or did he have beef with the king of Rohan? Because I was not super focused. Like everything in this chapter, I feel like I have a lot of hand waviness. I don't know. There was a lot of stuff. Because this was not the chapter where I was the most on top of the details. I don't have it in my notes, but I do have, yeah, it sounds basically like the men of Rohan are not evil, but they are dealing with the effects of being stuck between Sauron and Sauron. Yeah. And it's not a great place to be. It looks like from what I was able to quickly skim that he chose Shadowfax because he's an amazing, perfect horse and that the Black Riders horses can't compete with him, basically. Right. Um, 
And so Gandalf, having been imprisoned, is trying desperately to get back to the Shire and finds that Frodo is gone. Frodo's already already left. And so, and he goes to Bree, finds that they had left Bree already in the company of Strider. Mm-hmm. And then explains, now he explains that the lights that they saw on Weathertop when they were in the ma- in the marshes were in fact him fighting with the Black Riders. And then finally he makes his way to Rivendell only three days before the ring. Mm -hmm. Um, And then says, basically, I'm so sorry I took forever to tell this story. But there was a lot of important information, so everyone kind of needed to hear it. Right. An account to the ring bearer of so strange an event was required, I think. And the strange event in particular that he says is, is the fact that he didn't show up when he said he would. Yeah. Like, forget that he was held captive. The thing that he is super worried about is the fact that he did not show up when he was needed. Mm -hmm. And finally, Elrond uh, goes, well, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's concerning. And then the council basically starts talking about, well, what are our other options at this point? Because Sauron knows the ring has been found. Saruman is a lost cause and he's kind of starting to be aware of what's happening as well and somebody pitches the idea of giving the ring to Tom Bombadil which seemed at first once again many other names yes Yarwin Ben Adar he has you know the names Yarwin Ben Adar oldest and fatherless Orold and Forn and many other names besides. He is a strange creature, and maybe I should have summoned him to our council. Gandalf says, that wouldn't work. Yeah. And this does confirm what we had talked about ages ago when Tom Bombadil first came up of, you know, was his name always Tom Bombadil? We said, of course it's not. And this confirms that he has had many names, as he pleases. But basically what Gandalf says in response to the idea of giving it to Tom is that Tom just wouldn't care. Maybe if all the people in the world came to him and begged him, he might take it, but he just doesn't. It's not that he's not capable of understanding or that he's not intelligent, but it just doesn't matter to him in a way that means he could be trusted to keep it safe, that he would lose it and it would, go off into the woods or something and then things would be worse than before and we saw a little bit of this when we encountered him like he took the ring and put it on and was totally unaffected by it yeah right and basically laughed and gave it back to the hobbits and was like that's a fun little trinket keep it safe yeah so he's not going to treat this with the gravity that it deserves which is not a slight against him it's just his nature he's not concerned with the ring I think it I think it's interesting to think about almost from the lens of like climate change. Ooh, interesting. He is a being of the earth. Right? The squabbles of mortals are more or less beneath him. He will continue to exist as part of the earth so long as an earth exists. 
And if that earth is not inhabitable, well, that's not his problem. Mm -hmm. He'll still be there. Just nobody else will. Yeah, and, you know, the... I want to say the mortals, but the mortals asterisk, the the people, the men, <laughs> if you will, they can't outsource their problem to Tom. They can't get rid of this responsibility for something that their type of being created. You know, they're going to have to deal with it themselves one way or another. And they also suggest sending the ring across the sea or casting it into the sea and I was wondering what the deal is with the sea because I had always assumed that Middle Earth was the entire world it was the planet in the same way that Earth is our Earth which now in hindsight maybe sounds silly but so there are other places that are very far away but that kind of fucks up my whole perception of what's happening in the story, because I know we keep talking about there's bigger stakes, there's a grander scale, there's all of these other magical and cosmic things happening. But to think that this is all happening in just one part of a larger planet, for some reason that mm -hmm. really fucks me up more than thinking about all of the other big cosmic magical things. Because I thought that this was the whole world that we were talking about. The world itself is known as Arda. And Arda has undergone many great changes over the years. And at one point we have the, we, we previously had mentioned, right, that at, there was a being of whom Sauron was but a servant, mm -hmm. right? And at the conclusion of the war with that being, whole sections of Middle-earth completely sunk beneath the sea. And then following the war with the first war with Sauron Numenor completely disappeared mm -hmm. and further places, further bits of land were completely destroyed. Also the world at one point was flat and isn't anymore. Oh, okay. And so, but the elves can still treat it as flat. I'm making so, a facial expression that doesn't really translate to audio, but the facial expression is what the, what the fuck? How? How does he? How do they? Do yeah, that? the elves do can still can still sail to the west over the flat seas and get to the Grey Havens, um, and to where they will dwell forevermore. Okay. But, so if I get on a boat with an elf and we go over the, can they take me on the flat seas, or is it only an elf thing? I'm going to say yes, they can. And we'll okay. dig more into that at the end of Return of the King. Okay, cool. Because I'm envisioning all kinds of different logic puzzles of, okay, the elves can go, but can their ship go? Does the ship stop existing at the end of the world? What about the things that are on the ship? If they bring some food, what happens to the food? I need to know a lot of information about this, but I'll be patient. I'll put that on the back burner. Because <laughs> the be sea is literally just one throwaway line, but it fucked up my perception of the setting so much. <laughs> and I'm going to keep thinking about it. I don't know why it's that one little thing is troubling. But no, it is. Middle Earth itself is simply one part of a continent okay. in this world. Okay. That like vaguely corresponds to Europe. At some point, I'll look at a big world map and I'll just 
cry because I'll be overwhelmed by all of the other stuff. Because if this is all happening in just one part of the world, what the fuck is going on in the rest of the world? This has to be such a troubled place. But I guess it is. And I guess that's the whole reason that we're here. There are stories that Tolkien has written that deal with other parts of the world. Um, We also have, in this chapter, Boromir talks about men who came from the south, from below Mordor and from and from the east who were allied with Mordor mm-hmm. from the deserts to the far south and from uh the plains to the east and they they came and they work alongside Sauron the Dark Lord um basically after that they just all agreed that the only option is to destroy the ring and Bilbo wants to go and wants to help and that is a terrible idea and that gets shot down so Frodo accepts the burden of destroying it and then Sam is going to go with him which is very cute and very sweet which I mean it's not a surprise obviously we know that Sam is going to go with him but right there there is basically you know two whole pages of debate of whether or not they can can they use the ring how do they destroy the ring who's going to go with the ring um, are there other weapons that we could potentially use? And finally, finally, they basically go, no, we have to destroy the ring and we have to send some people to go and help with it. And Bilbo goes, great. Can I have lunch now? <laughs> um, I'll do it. I'll go take the ring to Mordor if you fucking give me lunch. And I thought that was a little bit, presumptuous the way that because that basically is Bilbo's tone of oh fine I'll do it in sort of the long-suffering old man way but also in the big production of a mom going no one ever helps me around this house way of of course the ring is my problem of course I'll do it no the ring is Frodo's problem you gave it to Frodo Frodo is very clearly taking ownership of this situation and I don't know it just seemed a little bit yeah like I said a little bit presumptuous that he would be the ones no his adventuring days are done you have passed this on to a new person he's got it under control there's a little bit maybe of ring magic evil influence there of oh if I go on the quest then I get to be with the ring and me and my bestie the ring BFFs forever we'll go to the Mount Doom together there were just a lot of layers of vibes to his comment that I thought was interesting. That's fair. I didn't necessarily read it that way, but I, I mean, I guess I read it in a, in a similar fashion of just like, he feels still that he is the ring bearer mm-hmm. that because he found the ring. It is still a part of him and it will always be in some ways, but Frodo is now the ring bearer and Elrond almost, says as such right i think this task is appointed for you frodo and that if you do not find a way no one will exactly i was about to read the exact same quote (laughs) the only other piece that i have from this chapter is just another little bit of tolkien editorializing oh where gandalf says to bilbo basically you're not going to go you are going to write this all down though finish your book about your travels and get ready to write a sequel, Mm -hmm. which is basically what Tolkien had to do is he finished the book about the, he finished the Hobbit book about Bilbo's travels. And then his publishers went, 
you want to do another one please <laughs> and he went fuck fine i guess very cheeky and i don't want to dwell too long on this chapter because we still have a whole other chapter to get through but the very end where sam is insisting that frodo not go alone um elrond is making his big proclamation about frodo you're gonna go this is your thing you're the ring bearer congrats and then sam says but you won't send him off alone surely master cried sam unable to contain himself any longer and jumping up from a corner where he had been quietly sitting on the floor no indeed said elrond turning towards him with a smile you at least shall go with him it is hardly possible to separate you from him even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not and like we had talked about last time with sam being unnoticed and uninvited you know this is a very explicit acknowledgement of that which we right. haven't really um, gotten up to this point right he's as a servant treated essentially as part of the scenery until all of a sudden he inserts himself into the conversation which he wasn't supposed to do elrond elrond is not unperceptive Mm-hmm. Right? I'm sure that he and Gandalf at least know Sam is there. Right? And probably Frodo and Bilbo do too. But they, all of them, were just going to ignore the fact that he was there. Yeah. Because this is all matters that are above him. And he was willing to violate that social contract that he also perfectly understands. He knows Mm -hmm. his place within this system and he's willing to step out of line to advocate for Frodo, to make sure that he's not going to be alone and that he has the opportunity to go with him. And there are other things because I read a little bit ahead of where we get today. So I don't know if we'll hit it this chapter, but there are other things that he does where he makes a point of breaking out of his role as the servant, as the yes man to make sure that the things he cares about get their advocacy and i think that's really sweet that's gay love it is so do we have anything else for the council of elrond because god that was a beefy fucking chapter no i really want to be done with the council of elrond because i feel like there was a lot where i was just going yeah uh uh-huh i didn't understand that that part went over my head please explain it to me i felt like i was on much firmer ground with the next chapter so i'm very eager to be done with this part so i can feel smart again Fair enough. And I actually didn't have a ton of uh, notes for the Ringo South. To me, this is the Ringo South was a little bit of uh, the D&D travel sequence. Yeah, it's a fairly straightforward chapter. And that's why I felt really confident with it. Because I'm smart. I'm a good reader. I can understand things. But the Council of Elrond is so dense. I just want to put it behind me as quickly as possible. And immediately my very first note was i'm sorry to instantly take it in a horny direction but i can't see the words the ring goes south without being like mm, yeah there's some rings that, that can go south for sure maybe not this one sauron's cock ring <laughs> <laughs> listen there is so much wait i have to google something real quick <laughs> <laughs> Why? Tell me why the first result is on Etsy. Etsy is not a place you should be buying sex toys, please. Oh my God. friends, please don't buy your sex toys from Etsy or from Amazon. Yeah, just don't. Oh my. God. Don't buy anything yeah. from Amazon if you can do it, but like especially, don't buy your sex toys from Amazon. Okay, and okay, so even better. So there's 
the various purchase options, but then there's a Reddit thread from three years ago that is, would it have been possible for someone to use the one ring as a cock ring? Any thoughts on this matter? And there's not that many comments, but yeah, so it's not just me, but that is immediately where the title took me. And I'm not sorry about that. That is our brand. And I think we've let that slip in the last a couple of episodes is we do need to make sure that we are talking about um, as much horny bullshit as we can slip into this book. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I need to move on. I need to move on from that because otherwise we're not going to get anywhere. But um, so in terms of the actual plot, the hobbits have their own debriefing meeting after the war council and and pippin is a teen yes so obviously a teen the pippin quote is the first non-ring related thing that i have written down which is he's insisting that he should go and he says we hobbits ought to stick together and we will i shall go unless they chain me up there must be someone with intelligence in the party then you certainly will not be chosen peregrine took said gandalf ice cold and Amazing. this i love really... this little antagonism they have going on brain cell that is literally what i was about to say that this is the beginning i mean we've had their little sort of comments before but we're about to really settle into a pattern where pippin is just a thorn in gandalf's side for the rest of forever and i can't tell if like they actually dislike each other or if it's one of those, like, Pippin actively dislikes Gandalf and Gandalf is like, that's cute. Or if Gandalf actively dislikes Pippin and Pippin is like, but we're just having some banter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the little finger guns, absolutely something Pippin would do. Yeah, this isn't a visual medium, but I was, in fact, doing finger guns during that. I mean, we're both bi. We should just be assumed to be doing finger guns at any given moment. A good amount of the time. Um... But then there's more Hobbit talking and Bilbo is salty that Frodo chose his birthday to air quotes honor him both by setting off on the journey. He thinks that's okay. That's a little bittersweet. That's a little weird. But most importantly, he is you. You let the Sackville Bagginses, the SBs. He doesn't even say their name. He abbreviates it. You let those motherfuckers into my house on my birthday. I mean, to be fair, if Frodo had not been in the picture and Bilbo had made his disappearance on his 111st birthday, the Sackville Bagginses still would have gotten into the house then. True. Frodo just delayed it by 17 years and uh, made sure that Otho was good and dead. He did what he could. And I appreciate any... Sackville Blag- Blaggins, Sackville Baggins. Um, I I was gonna say slander, but it's not slander because it's true. Putting them in their place and reminding everyone that they suck. They are literally the worst. And then we have one little poem of oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think about this every single year. Okay. When I like, so I went to college. Uh, somewhere where it gets very cold and snows quite a bit. And I do mean very fucking cold. Like I think my freshman year it hit 35 below Mm -hmm. uh, during the winter for like one or two nights. It was real rough. Um, And that's 35 below Fahrenheit, 
but also that's relatively close in Celsius because I think negative 30 is where they miss is where they match up again. Oh, interesting. When winter first begins to bite and stones crack in the frosty night, when pools are black and trees are bare, tis evil in the wild to fare. But I'm afraid that will be just your luck. <laughs> and that's exactly how I imagine Bilbo saying it is like, you know, he he has this gravitas as he's reciting his little piece of poetry and then immediately out of that. Yeah. Um, have you ever been winter camping? I have not. No, I have only been camping in very pleasant, mild, early autumn weather. Except for the pouring rain that you've gotten yourself into a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Except for the terrible, terrible rain. I think my subconscious blocked that out. But mostly <laughs> pleasant weather. Not Surely not rain so bad that I had to sleep in my car in the middle of the night because it was getting in through the rain fly. Certainly I've also not. had one or two of those situations. but um, Well, you had a far I, worse rain situation, but I have a feeling yeah. there's a cold camping anecdote. I it It was really just the one time when I woke up and there were there I had put my boots outside of the tent um and there was snow in my boots in the morning. Oh no. Yeah, it was rough. Was that around this area where I live where you also lived as a child or was that somewhere else? Um so I can't imagine it getting back. I mean it was sometimes. also like late November, I think. Okay. So there was that and I want to say it was up in like the Blue Hills. It might have been the White Mountains. Mm-hmm. Not 100% sure. We we have been explicit about the fact that we're New Englanders before. Yes. If you couldn't tell by how much I use the word fuck. <laughs> anyway, let's see. Do, 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 do. But yeah, I think about this piece of poetry every single year. Like on those mornings when you step out and you feel it on your face and it's the first time that you feel that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the wind, something biting. Right. I think about this piece of poetry every single year. I love that. That's great. When winter first begins to bite and you go, ah, it's only going to get worse from here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of love it because I'm a winter girly. I absolutely love it when it's freezing fucking cold. But I do also acknowledge when I'm trying to walk to my bus in the morning that that sucks. <laughs> that is something that I've been kind of missing as climate change has slowly encroached and fucked up all our lives is I remember there being days starting in you know maybe November if it was a particularly cold year where it was just dangerous to go outside because of how Mm -hmm. cold it was even without the wind just the fucking freezing below freezing temperatures that being enough that it hurts your face to step outside and I've had so few of those days in the last couple of years it's very strange Right. I remember getting emails in college from um, the outdoor activities director. They basically was like, hey, um, in the time that it takes you to walk across campus, you can get frostbite. So, uh, you know, here's how to protect yourself. Don't leave your skin exposed. Wear fucking hats and gloves and scarves. Um, Be careful. Take care of people. Take uh, little detours into buildings keep an eye out for your fellow students, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, just a reminder that nature is not necessarily our friend. It's an uncaring mistress. 
But yeah, they're they're set to move out in the winter. There's scouts going out, so they don't end up going. They don't end up leaving until early December. But we do finally get the forging of the fellowship. Yes, and I had a quick little thing which i know we're trying to be efficient with our time but there was one gandalf moment that i wanted to highlight where you know we're talking about who's gonna go and gandalf says i think i shall come with you and then going don't get too excited i said i think i'll come with you oh my god calm down and that prompted me to ask is gandalf a middle child because that's some middle child bullshit to say a perfectly innocuous sentence realize that it got a lot more attention than expected fan the flames of that attention completely unnecessarily i don't know if he has siblings but that's a middle child energy i mean i guess we could count saruman and radagast as siblings (laughs) yeah but in that case there we go saruman was oldest and wisest of the order right Mm -hmm. so fair enough but yeah we formed the new company the nine walkers versus the nine riders and poetic you know Now, I think most listeners of our podcast probably will know who the members of the Fellowship of the Ring are. But just for anyone who's reading along directly with us or using us in place of reading the Fellowship, um, which I understand fully, as we talked about last time, it's not the most approachable of books always. We have, of course, Frodo, Sam, and Gandalf. And then representing elves and dwarves and men, we have Legolas, Gimli, son of Gloin, um, and Aragorn, son of Arathorn. And Legolas is the son of Thranduil, who canonically fucks. Mm-hmm. And I will just say that every time we mention Thranduil. Um, I think you should. I agree with that. Yes. Thranduil's official title is Thranduil, who canonically fucks. <laughs> anyway. Somebody who knows how to write Elvish, please get on that. <laughs> Yeah, someone want to print that in Tengwar? Um, that could be my next pillow that I embroider for you. Follow <laughs> that away in my brain. Thranduil, king of the elves in Mirkwood, who canonically fox. <laughs> I will just for the for the listeners. I also have a pillow embroidered by Sam. Uh, that states that getting railed by Norse gods is my special interest. And it's true. It is. And it is. Uh, we're not going to elaborate on that. We are simply going to continue. It's pretty straightforward. It is what it says on the tin. But yeah, or, so is that all our... Pillow, anyway. <laughs> so is that all the members of the company? No, it's not. We also have Boromir. Um, because he is going in the same direction to return to Gondor. And Aragorn will eventually split off and go with him. Mm-hmm. And then Merry and Pippin, because they basically say they were go- they will follow along unless they are tied in sacks and sent back to the Shire. And yeah. even then, so Elrond goes, well, I'm not going to fight that. He tries. He sort of vaguely says, oh, Peregrine should stay. My heart is set against his going. And then Pippin says, no, you're going to have to tie me in a sack and ship me back home because that's not going to happen. And he goes, OK, fine. With it, and it says that he sighed after he says that. He says, let it be so then, you shall go, said Elrond, and he sighed. And Gandalf, too, like, stands up for Pippin, basically saying to Elrond, it doesn't matter if you were to give us, like, powerful warriors, Glorfindel, or another elf lord. We don't know what we're going into, 
So even if they have power, it's basically useless. We can't prepare for this. Mm -hmm. And we're not using any of that power. We're trying to be quick and quiet. So ultimately, these two little hobbits are going to be as effective as any powerful sword arm you put in our party. Yeah. Which, speaking of powerful swords, the shards of Narsil are reforged into Anduril, the Flame of the West. Hell yeah. And it turns out all beautiful and shiny. And other than that, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's... I didn't realize that it that they could just fix it. I thought they would have to go on a quest in order to fix the sword, but nah, they just needed some elven smiths to get it looking good again and then you're good. Right. This that's not the point of the book. Yeah. Uh but speaking of broken swords, Frodo's sword that he took from the Barrow Whites was broken in the fight with the Black Riders. Mhm. So Bilbo gives him sting. <laughs> does he gives him sting and he gives him his dwarf male shirt and i love so much about that bilbo says that he has kept all of the really significant mementos from his adventure besides the ring obviously and sting and the male shirt are from such different points of bilbo's journey that we kind of get the whole thing symbolically represented because sting was you know he got it out of the troll cave at his very first confrontation with danger when he uses it to kill the spider that's when he really changes as a person and steps into his new role as the burglar as the adventurer when he's starting to be more brave and then the shirt he gets when they're finally under the mountain and smog is gone and they're getting ready for their final battle and this friendship with the dwarves and then his enmity with the dwarves when Thorin is being stupid and kicks him out and then comes back and these items just represent such important parts of his life and now he's mm -hmm. passing them along to Frodo and then he says just a plain hobbit you look said Bilbo but there is more about you now than appears on the surface good luck to you and then he gives a little a little song which is so sad but really wonderful Oh, I wrote down the last stanza of it. Yeah, um, I want to talk about this one. I want to talk about just the, just the first the first stanza, and then I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, and it continues on about you know all the wonderful things that he's seen in his life, but at some point. When winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see, his life will end. His story mm -hmm. will end. The last stanza that you wrote down, do you want to read that one? Sure. But all the while I sit and think of times that were before, I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. That just crushed me. Because, yeah, you know, it's talking about how he's contemplating the inevitable end of his life and something about the listening for returning feet and voices he is not sure if he's going to hear them you know eventually a spring is going to come that he's not going to see eventually he will be listening for people to come back and they just won't and that'll be the end and he might be facing the end of his life alone and you know he has to make his own peace with that and he has to be content with the journey that he's been on and it's and beautiful and it's reflective and it's peaceful but it's also so sad 
Right. And the fact that he can't necessarily, he can't be sure not only that he will live to see people come back, but that they will come back at all. Mm-hmm. That the that his loved ones will live to come back. Exactly. Right. <sighs> anyway, we learn about the gear that the company, uh, which is capitalized as the company, mm-hmm. we learn about their gear and everything they took with them uh, in a very book of numbers core um, <laughs> passage. <laughs> That's my aesthetic. <laughs> we this had that whole discussion last ever. time about the book of numbers and then as soon as i read this page i was like oh this is that's what this is isn't it yes. i was at um a temple service this past weekend for a bar and bat mitzvah for two kids that i used to take care of and part of the reading that week was the tail end of numbers and i was so happy <laughs> it's like yes numbers <laughs> and i was really expecting it's possible that it's there and my eyes just glazed over it and I will look like a real fool right now. But I didn't see the, you have my sword and my axe, whatever. I thought that was a scene that was very thin. Is that just in the movies? That's in the movies. Okay. Because I was sitting and waiting so patiently and feeling a little bit smug going, aha, this is one scene that I know. This is going to come up. It did not happen. And I was really expecting it and I was surprised when it didn't happen. They did have to condense quite a bit. As we've, yeah. we've noted, like we've talked about these uh, these books for hours now, mm-hmm. chapter by chapter. The Lord of the Rings movies, the Peter Jackson films are long, but they can't be that long. Yeah. But they set out. Um, and one other line here that I... I noted was Sam going rope. He muttered no rope. And only last night you said to yourself, Sam, what about a bit of rope? You'll want it if you haven't got it. Well, I'll want it. I can't get it now. And this is why D and D players always have 50 feet of coiled rope. (laughs) He didn't start out with the basic adventurers kit, which also doesn't include torches, which we will get to at some point in the future. But I had written down the line right before that where it's listing all of the things that Sam has packed and some mm-hmm. of the things that he's loaded up on their horse, which is the same horse that they got in Breathe, still going strong, uh, which he has named Bill. But I love that he's named the horse, he's named the pony Bill because mm-hmm. it was Bill Fernie's pony and now the pony himself is Bill. Yeah, he's wearing the name much better than his previous terrible owner. But Sam loves Bill. He's a very good horse owner horse companion i feel like sam would be one of those people who would it would make him sad to talk about owning an animal so he would just go no i'm I'm his friend i'm his caretaker sam loves this bill but the thing that i had written down was that he had packed various small belongings of his masters that frodo had forgotten and sam had stowed to bring them out in triumph when they were called for which is a feeling that i deeply relate to as a childcare worker who always has to think ahead to what are the 17 snacks that this person is going to want and three whole changes of clothes and all of the little things that the tiny humans aren't going to realize that they need, but they're going to need. And then I'm going to be the hero when I have all of these things. Yeah, I feel that. The other piece of that that I really like is, you know, he had his chief treasure, his cooking gear. 
and the little box of salt he always carried and refilled when he could. <laughs> because food is so important to hobbits. Yeah. That he always has his little box of salt to just make things better. So you always have to season your fucking food. And I relate to that Season your fucking food, people. (laughs) With more than just salt. Yes, but salt is important. And on a quite literal level, I have taken to traveling with a small, tiny little glass Pyrex container of salt because I can't count on the Airbnbs and relatives and whatever places that I stay for those kitchens to have kosher salt. They're going to have weird... Morton reduced sodium table salt or seven different crunchy kinds of sea salt. And if I'm trying to bake, I need good, normal kosher salt. I also do the same thing. Because we're the (laughs) same person. Uh So, yeah, no, it's important to always have the right fucking salt. (laughs) Not all salt is created equal. And real, real bakers know this. So, anyway. yeah, the party um, gets ready to go. Elrond sends them off with some terms and conditions, emphasizing... I have mixed feelings about this. Okay. Let me finish um, my thought, and then yeah. you can do your thought. Um, Please. But, so he sends them off with terms and conditions, and he really makes a point that nobody besides Frodo is bound to do anything. Nobody's made any vows. No one is expected to see this entire journey through. And if they need to take a little break if they need to leave early whatever happens happens and there he's not going to hold it against anyone who either doesn't want to or isn't able to make it through the whole quest and that prompts a little back and forth about loyalty and bravery and what you can reasonably expect people to be willing to do and you know of course we're brave we're gonna see this through but a lot of you haven't seen adventure yet and you don't know what you can handle until you're tested and it was a very interesting little back and forth yeah i yeah on the one hand i understand what elrond is getting at basically saying yeah we're not going to expect you to go and do something that there's no way you can do i'm not going to make you make an oath that you cannot uphold But also, it's real shitty to basically look at Frodo, who is the least adventurous out of anyone in this fucking party, besides perhaps Sam, Mm -hmm. and go, you're the only one who has has to do this, um, and everyone else can just say, fuck you, and leave whenever they want. Mm, Um, Even though they we all decided that you needed help on this adventure and all of these people volunteered to go help you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot to expect Frodo to, if all of these others were to abandon him, it's a lot to expect Frodo to then be the only one who will eventually take the ring to Mount Doom and cast it into the fire. And how would he even do that as one person? You know, it's impossible. He needs help. If if Isildur couldn't, and Isildur was a great hero and warrior, you know, how can you expect Frodo to be the only person who is bound to this task? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, the were I Elrond, the task I would have laid upon them would would not have been, you know, take 
you are all bound to take the ring to Mordor. It's, it would have been much more of, you know, you know, I am asking you all to do anything you possibly can to ensure that Frodo is able to complete his task. Mm -hmm. For the good of all of us, you have agreed to represent the free peoples of Middle-earth in this task. So see it through as far as you can. You know, don't necessarily, you can still have the like, you know, if you hit something that you can't overcome, you can still leave. But in leaving, leave Frodo as able to complete his task as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Because that's still a good quest. That still has stakes. That's still a huge responsibility. But it doesn't leave Frodo to the metaphorical and literal wolves. Yeah. And then we have the travel. We have, uh, we get a marching order for the party as we set out, which makes my little (laughs) DM heart happy. I know where to put the monsters now. Oh, yes. This is all just very classic. There's walking. There's taking watches. There's the things people see in the night. There's their little perception checks. This is all so D&D. Gandalf, who is the, you know, the DM stand-in, the, the DM PC, says they aim to pass the mountains on the Dimrill Stair, which was mentioned earlier in the chapter that the scouts had previously passed over on their way back. And he starts laying out the whole path and then goes, maybe we shouldn't plan too far ahead. And Gandalf and Aragorn talk about a potential dark secret way that they've spoken of. And oh boy, I wonder what that could be. Hmm. Any guesses there, Sam? (laughs) Could it possibly be going through the mines? The mines of Moria that we've talked about several times so far. At length? Yeah. And Tolkien mentions it getting, you know, as cold almost as the winter when the Brandywine froze over and the White Wolves came into the Shire. And he's mentioned this before, but he finally gives it a year now, 1311, in Shire Reckoning, which was Mm -hmm. 30 years before the events of The Hobbit, which was when Bilbo was 50. So he would have been a teen of 20, even younger than Pippin is now. Mm -hmm. Also, it's heavily implied now that Bilbo is the oldest living Hobbit. Yeah, I think I don't see any other way to interpret that because he's the only living hobbit who remembers the wolves crossing into the Shire. So, I mean, unless there was anything else, you know, anyone older than him who was alive would have also remembered it. So if he's the only one who remembers it, yeah, he's the oldest. Right. Yeah. So Bilbo is getting on in years and it makes total sense that he is perhaps looking towards a winter in which he will never see the spring. Also, in a a literal sense, but also, you know, now that I think about it more, Bilbo is everyone not in the party, staying home, looking out at a potential winter, a potential season of unending darkness where they will never see the light ever again if Sauron is victorious. Mm-hmm. Cheerful. If the, if the company does not return, if those voices at the door do not come back, then the voices Bilbo is hearing at the door uh, might be in that speech of Mordor. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Oh, that's terrible. 
You're welcome. Um, Thank you, bestie. Anyway, they start going up um, Caradras. Caradras? Caradras? I'm not. I'm avoiding trying to pronounce a lot of these words because I have not the foggiest idea. Well, there is a lot of fog on Caradras. (laughs) So you might get foggy ideas from attempting to go up. Hey. But speaking of the miserable cold and the long winter, it does start to snow and it sucks. And all of the traveling up to this point has sucked and it's been miserable. And Sam wishes he could enjoy the snow from the comfort of his bed on a nice cozy day. And I just assume it's implied that Frodo is also in his bed because that's how I was interpreting it. You know, they're having their nice little (laughs) morning tea, their little hot chocolate, you know, snuggled up in their little bed in their hobbit hole. That's what I will choose to believe. And just I'm going to choose to believe that one, too. Good. You should, because I'm right. And just as I was thinking how stupid it is that Gandalf hasn't done anything in this entire time to make them more comfortable, he finally pulls out some drugs to make everybody in a little bit of a better mood and then finally helps start a fire after watching everyone else struggle. So that's Mirvor. good. <laughs> yeah. Get Mirvor, me some of that. The- the cordial of the elves, which I've attempted to make cocktails to mimic this before. Um, what did you put in them? I think technically the one I meant hate for the Hobbit party, I, I had titled as Ent Draft based on mm-hmm. the descriptions given later for that. Miravor, I've used like honey and um, mead and I have used gin because the and the elder, the elderflower uh, liqueur. And the elderflower uh, tonic as well, because that it's just nice and somewhere between fruity and herbaceous. Mm -hmm. I think my experiments need a little bit more, but I almost saw this as this is this is a bit of an alcohol jacket. Oh, yeah. I giving them. Also, we get another another time stamp through Frodo's dream. Right. Frodo is saying he's dreaming about going back and telling Bilbo about it, about the snowstorms. And Bilbo's saying, you know, snowstorms on January the 12th. There was no need to come back to report that. <laughs> um, but there's our timestamp. Yeah. Right? But various at various points they they keep saying, you know, oh, is this is this the work of the enemy? Are these snowstorms are these snowstorms actively trying to keep us from crossing? And Gandalf basically says, yeah, they're trying to keep us from crossing. But not everything evil in the world is allied with Sauron. Karadras is an evil spirit on its own. It is a spirit and a place in itself. And I almost saw this as like, there are places in this world that are not hospitable to human habitation. Parts of the Himalayas, high peaks and things were above, you know, where there's suitable oxygen or, you know, islands that don't grow food for us and parts of the deep ocean where we just can't live, right? And those places aren't necessarily inherently evil. In Tolkien's world, they are, but they're just, and again, the world itself is not under an obligation to be hospitable to us, Mm -hmm. right? And like we were talking about with Tom Bombadil, basically our worries are beneath them beneath the spirits of the world. You know, our little conflicts are not their fucking problem. Yeah. So I feel like that's almost what's going on with Kahadras. 
it doesn't want them on its slopes and it's going cool get off my fucking lawn cool indeed (laughs) (laughs) and then they basically they get snowed in more or less and legolas just kind of frolics over the snow because he can do that he does a little tee and you know uh what's the skips skips away in his little little elf shoesies he's not even wearing boots he's right and if they were all if they were all elves they might have had a hope but they're not Mm -hmm. the storm just keeps getting worse and worse and it says at one point it was like they hunkered down and everything sort of like calmed down and then said they they had barely gone a furlong of distance before things started up again how far is a furlong i don't know i did look this up <laughs> i figured you might um it is an eighth of a mile uh oh. or 220 yards or approximately 201 meters or 660 feet yeah that's not very far <laughs> no it's really not a long distance so they they don't get very far and it's, it becomes very obvious that the mountain itself is keeping them from going on. Yeah. Um, and, and it gets worse and worse. And the last line of the chapter is Karadras had defeated them because they, they were go back down at one point. Gimli literally calls out to the mountain enough, enough cried Gimli. We are departing as quickly as we may basically says you know don't kill us we'll we'll go fine yeah we're leaving which leaves them eventually to what happens next chapter which will be a journey in the dark mm-hmm. so sam do you have anything else we want to talk about for this section of uh of fellowship Let's see i think my last little thing was that Aragorn and Boromir make a path in the snow, but they don't have shovels or anything, so they just dig, and I'm imagining them both just kind of doing windmill arms. And just... <laughs> Literally at one point, Boromir was like, you know, we're brave and we're we're strong, at, but you might have been better served by a bunch of less brave and less strong men who had shovels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I think they one are, more thing that I'll... Mm, oh, sorry, you go. Just, they're not able to make it over the mountain. Yeah. They can't go over it. They can't go around it. They Gotta have to go, go it. under it. <laughs> um, and my last thing that we don't have time to dig into, but I am just going to put a pin in as a theme because I'm sure we'll see it more, is the sort of ceremonial blessingy language that Elrond uses to send them off if there's one thing I fucking love it's a blessing because as a religious studies person it just scratches an itch in my brain I love it I love marking a momentous occasion with a really thoughtful and intentional speech and we'll dig into that more at future times but I just want to put that on our radar as something that I'm aware of and something that I'm following because I fucking love it so much oh I love that too and I think as as a pair of ex-Christians we've talked about like our need for still having some sort of like ceremony or religiosity that punctuates our worlds and our our daily lives and our um the turning of our of our years right Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love the ceremonial nature of it all. It's very yeah, fun. We'll, we'll get into that more when we have more time, but that's something that I'm thinking about. Did you have anything else from these sections? 
No, I think that's that's pretty much it. I'm excited to dig into uh, what happens in Moria, pun only sort of intended. <laughs> Realized as soon as I said the word dig and <laughs> decided to stick with it. So I guess with that, we'll leave our listeners for two weeks. We'll be back in two weeks with the journey through Moria, the next two chapters. But until then, Sam, uh, where can they find us on the internet? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I don't remember what our social medias are. You're in charge of those. What do we have? We have Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at fanapppod, F-A-N-A-P-P-P-O-D. And we have an email, which I think is thefandomapprentice at gmail.com. Yes, yes, it question is. Mark? Okay, it has the the. Uh-huh. It's not just Fandom Apprentice. It's the Fandom Apprentice. As I go to check. <laughs> it is the Fandom Apprentice at gmail.com. Perfect. There we go. So you can go to all of those places and hang out with us and see the pictures of things that we're baking that are loosely Hobbit related and, you know, whatever thirst inducing pictures of elves we can find. All that good stuff. Lots of elf ass. Um, <laughs> I, I will promise and not deliver on the elf ass. And like when episodes are going to be posted and stuff, but you know, mostly the elf ass. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, numerous other apps, I assume, out. If you're listening to us, I assume you found us, but we would also really appreciate it if you would leave us a written review and a five-star rating if you enjoy what you're hearing. And if you would, uh, if you'd spread the word about the podcast to your friends friends and loved ones and enemies doesn't matter so long as they can listen and enjoy what they're hearing we we really appreciate it so thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time i guess see you next time bye the fandom apprentice is produced and edited by rin and sam our music was composed and performed by james and our art is by casey turgeon This podcast is created for non-commercial entertainment purposes, and the opinions expressed therein are our own and are not reflective of the opinions of any other person or organization. The content discussed is the property of the Tolkien estate and is used here under fair use.